Well, hello, everybody. It's always great to be here at Connection Point, and I know that some of you are disappointed that I didn't bring my little dog, Nugget, with me today. In case you're wondering, Nugget came with me the last time I spoke here, and she sat peacefully on a table right next to me. The whole time I talked, people have said, what did you do? Slip her something in her dog food or something? No, that's just the way she is. But anyway, I had a good time bringing her here and introducing her to all of you, and I'm always glad that I get to be here. I'm especially thankful this weekend because Pastor John asked me to speak about something that I really love, a topic that's really important to my heart, and that is encouragement. You know, I was driving down a city street one day, and I noticed a church building that had a sign in front of it that was advertising the title, I guess, of the preacher's sermon for that coming weekend. But I don't think it quite had the, the effect that they intended because the sign in front of this church building simply said these words, discouragement, Sunday, 10 a.m. <laughs> now, I don't think that that's quite the message that you want to use to market your church because it's a discouraging world to begin with. Remember the old song, Home on the Range, where never has been heard a discouraging word? But I hear discouraging words all the time. The news, much of it can be discouraging. In February, even the weather is gloomy and gray. Sometimes when you're trying to be encouraging, it doesn't quite come out right. Like this message that I saw on a school bulletin board posted. And if you look at it, I think it's supposed to say, you matter, don't give up. But it depends on how you read it. <laughs> and... <laughs> If you read it a different way, it's, you don't matter, give up. <laughs> well, that's sometimes how it feels. Somebody said, sometimes life is a party and sometimes you're the pinata, you know. <laughs> well, discouragement can come from big things, like the death of a loved one. Or it can come from something relatively small, like you're on a team and you should have won that game, but you didn't win it in the, in the end. Or maybe you're worried about something big like war in the Middle East. Or maybe you're fighting a personal battle with your temper or your weight or a broken relationship. I know singles who are discouraged because they wish they were married. And I know couples who are discouraged because their marriage isn't what they wish it would be. This weekend was Valentine's Day. And I'm always, as a guy who's been married over 40 years, always looking for something in the Scripture, you know, that would be, a, oh, there's a good verse that I could use for my Valentine's card, you know. And at first I thought I found one because in Ecclesiastes 9.9, it says these words, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Wow, that's good. Then I continued to read the rest of the verse. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun... All your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. I decided not to write that on my Valentine's card. <laughs> I heard about a country western song called, How Can I Miss You If You Won't Go Away? <laughs> there are just so many things that we can feel discouraged about. But listen, in a discouraging world, God wants you to be a Barnabas. And you know why I say that? Because Barnabas had a really neat name. It's very significant. Now, his actual given name was Joseph. But in Acts chapter 4, it mentions this guy named Joseph. And it says the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, 
which means son of encouragement. They looked at this man, watched the way he lived his life, listened to the things he said, and they said, you know what? We're going to nickname you Barney. Barnabas, son of encouragement. What if they nicknamed you according to your dominant characteristic? Son of grumpiness. (laughs) Daughter of grouchiness. No, Barnabas, son of encouragement. We all need to have a Barnabas in our life, somebody who encourages us and lifts us up. My challenge to you today is, are you willing to be someone else's Barnabas? The famous poet, Anonymous, wrote a little poem that goes like this. We are building up or tearing down in everything we do. Do we belong to the construction gang or to the wrecking crew? It's a good question. I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan all my life. In Cincinnati, a few years ago, a demolition crew tore down the old Synergy Field. It used to be called Riverfront Stadium, where the Reds had played for years. I watched it on television when they tore it down because I had had many memories in that stadium. It only took them 37 seconds to implode it. But it took three years to build Great American Ballpark, the field that replaced it. You can tear something down just like that, but it takes a lot of patient effort to build someone up and something up. That's why the Lord calls us to serve on the construction crew. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're also going to look at some other verses in the book of Hebrews today, but mainly we're going to camp in 1 Thessalonians 5, and it starts with one wonderful verse about encouragement that I want to consider with you this morning. And I want to talk to you today about why and who and how when it comes to encouragement. Let's start with why. Why be an encourager? Now notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And actually, don't miss that last part of the verse. I like that. Because Paul is not saying, the apostle Paul is not saying, and I'm not saying to you today, well, this is new and you've never done this. You're not doing this at all. No, Paul's saying, you know how to do this. In fact, you're already doing it. And I would say to you, connection point, this is an encouraging church. I have found it to be so. But As you are already doing this, let me encourage you to do it even more. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Now, here's a little Bible study lesson, a little tip. Whenever you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. Why does he say therefore encourage one another? Because of what he just said in the previous verse. Go back to verse 10 and he says, he died for us. That's talking about Christ who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Now, I really like that where it says, whether you're awake or asleep. So when you get up in the morning and you get up to go back to school or back to work or to face another day, if you wake up, you're together with him, with the Lord. He's alive. Jesus died and rose again for you. So he's alive to go through this day with you. Or if you're asleep and you're basically unconscious to the world, and you're lying there, it's 2.30 in the morning, and you're sound asleep in your bed, but he's with you. You know, to encourage means to put courage into. And there's nothing that puts more courage into me than knowing that the risen Lord Jesus Christ is with me, together with me, whether I'm awake or asleep, 
No matter what, if I'm healthy or sick or rich or poor or happy or sad, every day of my life, he is with me and you can be encouraged in the Lord even when circumstances around you are very discouraging. That's why Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Now, isn't that an interesting expression? As long as it's called today. When is it not today? Today it's today. Tomorrow we'll call it today. Yesterday we called it today. What he's saying is every day encourage one another daily. I like to say that encouragement is like a daily dose of vitamin E. Everybody needs it. You have a reservoir of encouragement that needs to be refilled on a 24-hour basis every day. It's like the manna that God sent down, the bread from heaven that he sent down in the Old Testament. Every day he would provide just what they needed for the day. We all need encouragement. So why do this? Because of what the Lord has done for you. Because he died for you, he's risen for you, he's together with you, whether you're awake or asleep, he's with you. What Jesus has done for you, you pass on to others. You're not just doing this in your own strength, you're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You love because he first loved you. And also because everybody around you has a need for this gift of encouragement. And notice also, it says that we do this so that none of us may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The devil is very tricky, and sin is deceitful, and it's easy to slip up. We do better when somebody's encouraging us. Encouragement is preventative medicine. When you have another person around who loves you and will encourage and challenge you to do the right thing, to make the right choices, it keeps you from falling into sin's traps. So that's why we encourage, but let's talk about who. Who needs encouragement from you. Well, here in verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul mentions several groups of people who need us to build them up, starting with leaders. Leaders need our encouragement. Notice the Apostle Paul says in verses 12 and 13, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. Actually, instead of acknowledge, a better translation of that is respect. Respect or know them well. Those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. You know, if you want something that will really differentiate you in today's culture, that will make you stand out as different in a positive way, be a person filled with respect. That's one of those qualities, one of those character qualities that is really diminishing in our culture right now. And let me challenge you to ask, how do you treat the leaders in your life? At home, kids, do you honor your mom and dad? At work, do you respect the boss? In school, do you listen to the teacher and the principal? On the ball field and on the basketball court, do you tear down the coach and the referees? Now, I know that's a tough one, isn't it? On the street, do you respect the police officers? In the church, do you respect the elders and the staff and the other leaders? One time after church, I was out in the lobby and a young girl, I think she was about four years old, her name was Samantha, came up to me and she looked up at me and she said, right in front of her mom and dad, I know you, you're the man who teaches us on Sundays. 
And I thought, oh, that was cool. That was cute. That she, you know, I felt kind of good. And then she went on and she shook her head and she said, you tell long stories. <laughs> sometimes it's fun to be a leader and sometimes it is not. Now, we ought not put church leaders on a pedestal. Church leaders are ordinary people. They are not perfect. I love this. Somebody said, in the church, it's not clergy and laity. We're all just clayity. We're all just clay in the hands of the Lord. So the fact that somebody's called to be a leader in the church doesn't make them a better person, a more important person, a special pipeline to God, anything like that. But verses like the ones we're reading remind us also not to take lightly the responsibility, the burden of leadership. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Leaders often have a really tough job. Michael Deaver served as deputy chief of staff during the Reagan administration. And on the morning of President Reagan's first inauguration, Deaver was concerned because it appeared that his boss had overslept. So he knocked on the president's bedroom door and he said, Sir, it's 8.30 in the morning. In about two hours, you're going to become the 40th president of the United States. And Ronald Reagan sleepily poked his head out from under the covers and said, Do I have to? You know, the truth is, most leaders feel that way sometimes. Hebrews 13, 17 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you. By the way, when it says they keep watch over you, literally, it says they lose sleep over you. And that's really true. Caring shepherds of God's church, they, they lose sleep over you. As those who must give an account. And then notice what else it says. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Think of the leaders in your life, particularly the leaders of this church, and ask yourself, how can you make their work more joyful instead of being a thorn in their side? That doesn't mean you never speak up or disagree or express your opinion, but it does mean, as the Scripture says, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Leaders need encouragement, and so do what I call the uninvolved people, the people who are not involved. Now, if you go on to verse 14, it says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Now, the word translated idle here was a military term that was used of soldiers who were out of step with the other troops or who were slacking off in their duties, who were loafing when they should have been at work, not carrying their share of the load. Proverbs 18.9 says, one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. In other words, if you're not helping the Lord's work move forward, you're holding it back. If you're not doing your part, someone else has to work harder. Maybe you know somebody who used to be involved in the church, but they've begun sitting on the sidelines instead of joining in the game. Maybe I'm describing you right now. And you used to be really engaged in the Lord's work, but you have slipped back and you need somebody to encourage you and challenge you to get back in the game. I'll tell you, when I watch how the church operates, I don't want people to miss out on the joy of using their gifts to be part of something that's very exciting. Yeah, last night when we had the evening service, before the service, I went over to the cafe, to the coffee shop and got a cup of tea. 
I was just chatting with the people who work in there, the volunteers who work in the cafe, weekend after weekend here at Connection Point. It was so energizing to me to hear their enthusiasm for serving you all, serving all of us, for making this a welcoming place. They have found a place to serve the Lord with all their heart and make such a difference when you're involved. I remember one time I was a church planter in Cincinnati, and we were planting a church in the heart of the city, just a, a few blocks from the University of Cincinnati. And for a couple of years, we rented a meeting place for our church. And then as the church grew, we needed a bigger place. And we found a church building about three or four blocks away that was available for sale. So we purchased it. And it was very exciting for this young church, mainly young adults. We were going to be moving into this new church building, new old church building that we were going to make new. But we needed to move all of our stuff over there. And so on the last day that we met in the rented facilities, I ended the sermon, ended the service with a, a prayer, and then I said, now, this is a kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I'm going to ask all of you to stand up and grab something near you. And everybody just turned around and grabbed stacks of Bibles or folding chairs or coat racks or whatever. And I said, we're going to march all of this stuff down to our new building. Everybody is going to work together to make this happen. It was really the coolest thing. Somebody said it was like Christian looting. You know, I looked around. <laughs> I wanted to take the, the pulpit, you know, the lectern that I spoke from, but somebody had already grabbed that, so I, bought, I brought part of a coat rack, you know. We're all walking down the street like this strange parade, and somebody, a bystander, said, what's going on? And somebody yelled back, it's the church. And it was really cool. But you know what? It would have taken our little staff all week to move all of that. But when everybody pitched in and everybody picked up something and everybody did it together, we had fun and we did it in about a half hour. And we got to walk down three or four blocks, put everything in place in our new building, and then we sat around and sang Amazing Grace. I'll never forget it. You know, if you want the church to feel like home, act like part of the family. And say, where can I serve? How can I be involved? Don't sit on the sidelines. Everybody doesn't have to do the same thing, but everybody needs to do something to advance the cause of Christ. Encourage the uninvolved. And then, you know who else needs our encouragement? Timid people. Timid people need our encouragement. Verse 14 goes on to say, depending on what translation you have, encourage the disheartened, but most translations say, encourage the timid. Now, that word, translated disheartened or timid, actually, in the original language, it literally meant something like this, small-souled. People who think that their soul is small, or their, their soul feels small. They feel insignificant. They feel like an ant on, on this earth. They don't feel like they're important. They don't feel like they have much to offer. They lack confidence. They are shy. They are fearful. They are timid. And that includes a lot more people than you might think. It includes some of our young people, students and kids. You know, it's tough to be a kid, tough to be a student in today's world. They will soak up words of encouragement from parents, grandparents, from other adults in this church. I know when I was a kid, I was shy, and I was timid, and I did not like public speaking. They had a custom in our church, I grew up in a little country church in Ohio, and they had a custom that the students, the kids, would take over the whole worship service every year on Father's Day. 
And they would have the kids handle the communion and greet people at the door and play instruments and lead the songs, everything. The kids did this every year on Father's Day, and they would press somebody into duty and have them preach. And when I was 15, they came to me and said, Dave, we want you to preach on Father's Day. And I said, no way. <laughs> and they said, no, we, we, you're going to do it. We want you to do it. And I, I, they finally made me. It was under protest. <laughs> but I did it. And I didn't know what to do if you preach a sermon. So I found a verse of Scripture. It's where Jesus said, you are the light of the world. I've always liked that verse, so I preached on that. And I wrote down everything I could think of to say. And I got up there that day shaking, my legs shaking, my voice shaking, and I preached, and it lasted eight minutes. <laughs> they actually liked that. <laughs> I, I joke with people and say, I don't know if my sermons have gotten better over the years, but they've definitely gotten longer. <laughs> But you know what? My little eight-minute sermon, which was not very good, at the end, I walked down, and I remember these older people coming, putting their arm around my shoulder and saying things like, Dave, you know, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> and if you'll hang in there and you'll, you'll work at it, we could see you being a preacher someday. We could see you doing that. They encouraged me. A shy, timid teenager, and their encouragement made a difference in my life. You know what? It works the other way, too, in the other end of the generations. Sometimes there are older people who have a lot to share if you'd take the time to ask for their story. One time at East 91st Street Christian Church, I slid into a chair at a lunch that I was attending with a bunch of senior adults. I was probably in my 40s then, and this man who was probably in his 80s, his name was Harry, was sitting there. There was an empty chair next to him, so I sat next to him. I said, Harry, how you doing? And he said, well, I'm doing fine, but I have a question for you, Dave. And I said, what's that? He said, how are you treating that wife of yours? I said, well, Harry, you'd have to ask her, but I think I'm doing okay. I was kind of joking with him a little bit. I said, why, why would you ask me that? He said, because my wife died and went to be with the Lord a couple years ago, and I miss her so much. And I just want to make sure that you're appreciating your wife and treating her well. I said, Harry... I don't think I ever heard how you got together with your wife. Would you tell me that story? And he leaned back in his chair and kind of stroked his chin, and he said, well, as I remember, she asked me to marry her on our second date. <laughs> she asked you and on your second date. Yep, that's the way it happened. Well, he had the most interesting story. This older man who was quiet but had so much to share. All you have to do is scratch a little bit and ask a good question, and you'd be amazed at the stories that people have to tell. Encourage the timid. There are people all around us who are quiet and shy, but they have a lot to share that will bless us if we will get to know them and hear their stories. Encourage the timid. Encourage the disheartened. And then you know who else needs our encouragement? Weak people need our encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, help the weak. And that is not a put down because at some point, all of us have times when we are weak. Maybe you're going through financial weakness right now and money is very tight. Or you might be in great health today, but someday you'll deal with physical weakness. You'll be hospitalized or you'll be sick and you'll need somebody to encourage and help you. And there's spiritual weakness. Jude verse 22, one little verse in the New Testament, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. 
Why? Because all of us go through times when our faith is under attack. There may be some of us here today who are going through times when we wonder if God is really there. It seems like when we pray, our prayers go unanswered. Our spiritual energy is feeling depleted. We are weak and we need somebody to encourage us. What about emotional weakness? You know, the older I get and the longer I'm in ministry with people in churches, I realize when we come together to worship God, to fellowship with one another, we are a room full of pain, pain of all kinds. There's the man whose wife has died, and every time he sits in church without her by his side, his eyes fill with tears. And there's Mother's Day, and the couple privately grieve because they long to be parents and they're struggling with infertility. And on Father's Day, a man feels angry because his dad was never there for him. A mom and dad grieve because their adult son or daughter has strayed from God and broken their hearts. Or you go and visit a nursing home, and there you see people who used to be powerful athletes or bank presidents or engineers or college professors, and now they struggle to collect their thoughts. These people are weak, and they are hurting, and they need our love and encouragement. You know that Jesus had a special place in his heart for people who were hurting, who were weak. I love it in Matthew chapter 12 when there's a prophecy from the Old Testament applied to Jesus, and it says this, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Do you realize what that's saying? If you are feeling weak, if you are like a, like a stem of a plant that's been bruised, he doesn't take you and just snap you apart. He strengthens you so that you can keep growing. If you're like a candle that's feeling burned out, he doesn't just come along and say, done with you. He fans the flame so that you will keep burning. He won't snuff you out. He cares for the weak. Actually, I've found in life that God is an artist, and sometimes our weaknesses are the very canvas where God paints the most beautiful artistry of all. That's why it's so important for us to understand that Connection Point is not just a place for big gatherings on the weekends. It is a caring family of brothers and sisters who come alongside each other in times of weakness, whatever form of weakness that might be. That's why we need to be meeting together in small groups. It's why Connection Point has marriage mentors eager to help other married couples. It's why this church sponsors Grief Share to care for those who've lost a loved one to death, and a finance ministry and a good neighbor program that can help you if you're striving to get out of debt. It's why there's a miscarriage and infertility support group and a divorce care ministry and a cancer support group and a disability support group. Because we come alongside each other in times of weakness with encouragement that comes from the Lord. We put courage into each other in Christ. I like the way Bob Goff says it. Your setback doesn't have to be your campsite. Whatever it is that has set you back, the place that you feel weak in, the place that has knocked you down, that doesn't have to be where you stay and identify you with that pain and that weakness forever. There is always hope in Christ, and so we encourage one another in our weakness. The bottom line is everyone needs our encouragement. Verses 14 and 15 here in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, be patient with everyone. Everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but do what is good for each other and for everyone else. About 100 years ago, there was an evangelist named Billy Sunday. 
Great name for an evangelist. Billy Sunday. And he would go to cities and preach, kind of like Billy Graham used to do. But when Billy Sunday would go to a city, before he would get there, he would write to the mayor of the city and ask for a list of people he should pray for in the city. So when he's going to Columbus, Ohio, he sent a, a letter to the mayor of Columbus, Ohio, saying, give me a list of people in your city who need special prayer. And the mayor of Columbus sent him back a copy of the Columbus, Ohio phone book. Because he said, everybody in my city needs prayer. Now, for you young folks, they used to publish this book <laughs> that had everybody's name in it and everybody's phone number. The point is, everybody you rub elbows with this week, the person who serves you at the restaurant or the coffee shop, they need encouragement. The people who work with you, even if they're a son of grumpiness, or a daughter of grouchiness, guess what? Maybe they're that way because they've been beaten down by life and nobody has really filled their reservoir of encouragement. Everybody who comes into this building, everybody who comes to the sports and fitness ministry here at Connection Point, everybody who walks in needs encouragement. The tone of the Christian life is set by 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, where it says, rejoice always. Who wouldn't want to be in that kind of an environment? Pray continually, give thanks, be grateful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Anybody can point out what's wrong, and there's plenty of that going on in our culture today. If you want to be different, it takes a person filled with the Spirit of God to be a Barnabas, to be an encourager. Now, before we finish, I want to talk about, practically speaking, how do you do this? What does it mean? How can we encourage others? Practically speaking, what does it look like to be a Barnabas? Well, first, you can encourage others through spoken words, through spoken words. Someone has said, a pat on the back is only a few vertebrae removed from a kick in the pants, but it's miles ahead in results. Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. How have you been using your tongue lately in relation to other people? Maybe you've heard this before. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are balcony people and basement people. Balcony people are the ones whose words lift your spirits, lift your eyes, lift your vision, and cheer you on. And the basement people are the ones who are always dragging you down. I like to say you're either a spur or a spear with your words. Spurs are good. That's what a cowboy wears on his boots to make the horse go faster, to motivate the horse to, to move forward. And we all need people in our life who are spurs, who will ask the tough question, who will challenge us about our relationship with God, who will keep us on the straight and narrow and doing the right thing. We need to be spurs, but not spears. A spear just wounds you and leaves you bleeding in the dust. My wife says, she uses the words brace and embrace. She says, you know, Dave, some people, when they're coming toward me, they make me want to just brace myself because they're usually saying something that's really going to be hurtful and hard. And then there are people who make me want to embrace them and just open myself up to them in love. What are your words making other people feel? We can also encourage others through written words, through written words. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul, this message of encouragement to the church in Thessalonica, a town in Greece, he told them this letter he had written, he said, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. So what he wrote down was this written message of encouragement. You know, it's still true, even in 
the year 2020, it is still true, there is nothing like a handwritten note of encouragement. I used to be in the college business, and I would watch college students stand at their mailboxes and look disappointed when they didn't get anything from home. A handwritten card or a note from a grandparent, a parent, a friend, a minister, somebody back home meant the world to them, especially when it had a $10 bill enclosed. I have a friend who told me that the last 15 minutes of his workday before he leaves the office to go home, before he goes out and gets in his car and drives home, you know what he does? He said, Dave, I write, the last 15 minutes I write notes of encouragement and appreciation to people that I work with. And I end my workday by doing that. I said, what a nice thing for you to do for them. And he said, no, I'm not just doing it for them. I do it for me too. Because he said, sometimes I end the day with such a sour attitude, but if I remember people that I appreciate and I take a few minutes just to say how much I appreciate about them, it helps me leave my workday with a better attitude. Another way we can give encouragement is through appropriate physical touch. Paul wrote in verse 26, greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. Now, I went to Ethiopia, and I found they literally do that. They would kiss me on the shoulder. It was a sign of honor and greeting. And I went to Europe, and the church there, they, when they meet in Europe, they'll kiss you right there on the cheek. I went to Japan, and people wouldn't touch you, but they would honor you physically with a bow that made you feel deeply respected and acknowledged as a person. You know, when I was a young minister... The custom in the church where I was preaching was a small country church, and the custom was that the preacher would stand at the door and greet every person and shake their hand as they left. It was a small church. You could do that. You could talk to everybody and shake their hand. And as a young guy, I was a little bit impatient with that, and I thought to myself, oh, this is just a tradition and kind of meaningless, and they're saying the same thing to me every week, and why do I need to shake their hand? I was kind of thinking like that. And then, you know, as I worked with the people longer, you know what I came to realize? There are people, and this is true even now, there are people who will not have a meaningful physical touch from another person all week long except at church. They will go all week without touching another person. But at church, somebody greets them at the door and shakes their hand. Somebody gives them a gentle hug and says, it's great to see you. Somebody puts their arm around their shoulders when they're crying and says, is there anything I can do? Can I pray for you? Let me tell you, God cares about those little gestures of love and encouragement. And we can also encourage others through simple acts of service. July 6, 1986 is a day I'll never forget. I was a minister of a church in New York. I was there for 10 years, and this was the worst day of those 10 years. It was 100 degrees outside, and my little house in New York did not have air conditioning. It was hot as blazes. And we had company over for the weekend. They were staying in our home. And because it was so hot, we set up a little box fan, a little square fan on the floor of the guest room where they were staying to keep them cool. And when we all got up and went to church, we thought they would turn the fan off or unplug it, and they didn't know or didn't remember. And so the fan continued to be running all morning while we were at church. And then we went out to Red Lobster to eat lunch together. And while we were eating with our guests, a friend of mine named Ralph, who was a member of the volunteer fire department for the town, came rushing in. He found me in the restaurant. He said, Dave, I hate to tell you this, but your house is on fire. 
we got in our car, rushed to the house, and found it surrounded by fire engines, smoke billowing out the top. Evidently, the fan had fallen over and caught the carpet on fire, burned the whole upstairs of our house, and they had chopped a hole in our roof, had chopped their way into windows and doors. Our house was filled with smoke and water and soot, and about half of our belongings were ruined. They saved the house, but a lot of our stuff was ruined. It was one of the worst days of my life. I'll never forget it. And we got the kids, and they went with my wife to the grandparents. But it was New York. I didn't feel comfortable leaving my house alone. We boarded up some doors and stuff, and then I decided I'm just going to stay here. So I was in there, no power anymore on in the house. It was dark. It smelled horrible. It was filthy. And no lights would come on. Couldn't watch TV. <laughs> Nothing. And I was sitting in there as the sun was going down, one of the most miserable days of my life, and there was a knock on the door. I went and opened the door, and there was this young woman from our church standing there with a box in her hands. And she had tears in her eyes. She said, Dave, I heard what happened. I didn't know what else to do, but I brought you a pie. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me and how people see me. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's going to be pie day soon. Those pies really can make a difference. It was from Friendly's Ice Cream Store. It was peach Melba pie, peach ice cream, graham cracker crust, and raspberry goop on the top of it. After all these years, I still remember exactly what kind of pie it was. I thanked her. And I went in the house, and pretty soon there was another knock on the door. My brother was ministering with a church in New Jersey, but he heard what happened. He drove over, and he said, Dave, I thought maybe you could use some company. So my brother John and I sat in this dark, stinky, miserable, hot house, eating pie. And my brother kind of saying things, well, Dave, at least someday you'll get a sermon story out of this. Yeah, I will. <laughs> Why, after all these years, do I still remember what those people did for me? A pie and somebody just sitting there with me in the dark. Because they encouraged me. They encouraged me at a time when I was down. And let me tell you, you can do that for somebody else. And it will make a world of difference to them. The best encourager of all is the Lord himself. So Paul closes by saying, may your whole spirit, soul, and body, I love that, every part of you, your spiritual part, your soul, your body, all parts of you, God cares about you as a whole person. May they be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. And notice this, he will do it. It's not just about what you do, it's about what God will do. Let me close with a little story that's based on an Aesop's fable. Here's how the story goes. A farmer owned a vineyard and he was dying, so he called his children together and he said, I'm about to die, but I want you to know there's a hidden treasure in my vineyard. Dig and you will find it. So after their father died, the sons and daughters took shovels and they turned up the soil in the vineyard over and over again in an effort to find the treasure but they never found any gold buried there at all. But in the process, all the digging loosened the soil. And the grapevines produced the biggest crop that the family had ever seen. And the sons and daughters became wealthy from all the fruit that they harvested. And the moral of the story is, keep digging and you will see. The treasure is actually all around you. The treasure is your spouse, 
It's your children. It's your grandchildren. It's your friends. It's your neighbors. It's the people that you work with for their sake and for the Lord's sake. Be a Barnabas. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the encouragement that we receive in your holy presence. Even just being here today has lifted our spirits, Lord. Thank you for that. And Lord, will you please forgive us for times when we have forgotten the need to build others up and instead we've actually taken the role of tearing people down. Help us, God, individually and as a church family to be encouragers. Lord, we pray that this week you will show us ways to find people who have not been involved, that we can encourage them to get back in the game, people who are shy or timid and show an interest in them and communicate to them the value that they have. Lord, there are people around us who are struggling with various kinds of weaknesses and afflictions. Help us to be there for them, to build them up and pass along the strength that we have received from you. Help us, God, in practical ways to demonstrate the love of Christ. You love, and therefore we pass that love along to others. Thank you, God, for the power of the risen Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, we lift up this prayer. And all of God's people said, Amen.